commence primary ignition. This is the way. What is up, all of you Ugnots and Jawas out there, and welcome to Mando Talk, your home for the Mandalorian discussion, reviews, breakdowns, and every single thing regarding this season is going to be covered here on Mando Talk, so make sure you subscribe wherever you are listening to this podcast to get your Mandalorian Season 3 fix. We're back home. Of course, Mando Talk, we started this podcast to review and discuss episodes of The Mandalorian dating all the way back to the series premiere way back with Season 1, Episode 1, Chapter 1 rather, and now we are back to this show and I'm so excited to be back home. It definitely feels like home. Anytime that we can have an episode focused on The Mandalorian, it feels like such an important and such a special occasion and of course now we get to do this for eight solid weeks. Now for this podcast episode, just for this premiere episode, it is only me on this podcast. DJ was supposed to be with me, but unfortunately in his area, as I'm recording this, he's having some storms come through, so he was unable to record with me, but that's a-okay because I'm still going to break this chapter 17 down as deep as I can, and then after I break it down, we're actually going to... Talk to you guys. You guys sent in some tweets to me at Mando Talk. I sent out that challenge on Twitter. I said, if you want to be part of the show, give me your tweets, and you guys delivered. So I definitely have some of those to discuss at the back half of this episode. And at the back half of the episode, I will also share my overall opinions and ratings and takeaways and, and things like that from this episode. But before we do that, we are going to break down and dissect every single detail that I noticed. Next week, though, Zach Horvath. If you're a longtime listener of the show, you know who that is. Zach Horvath is going to be with me to spoiler discuss chapter 18. Zach will be back to spoiler discuss chapter 19 with me, and then DJ will be back for chapters 20 through 24 to finish out the season. At least that's the plan. So, Again, make sure you smash that subscribe button. You got great things coming on this podcast regarding The Mandalorian Season 3, and I cannot wait to discuss it with every single one of you. Of course, thank you so much if you've supported this podcast up to this point. Let's have a great season. All right, let's get to the first thing on our agenda, which, like I said, is our full breakdown dissecting every single detail that was in chapter 17 so this tight this chapter rather was titled the apostate directed by rick famuaya and written by john favreau now i've read the news rick famuaya is apparently directing three that's right three episodes of this season and he's also an executive producer for this season so we're gonna fill his handprint all throughout this season, which is certainly exciting for me because every time that he's touched a Mandalorian episode, I feel like they've been 
deep character studies, which always excite me. Now, I don't necessarily feel like this episode was the most character study that Rick's ever done for this series. But again, I'll, I'm, I'm trying to hold off on sharing my overall opinions on this episode. I still enjoyed it. I'll go ahead and tell you that. I really enjoyed this episode. I'll just say that. Rick Famuyiwa, anytime he's doing The Mandalorian, sign me up. Now, we're not surprised that Jon Favreau wrote this thing. I'm, I'm assuming he probably wrote the majority of these episodes that we're about to see in this season, if not every single one of them. So, not surprising in the slightest. All right, let's get into our breakdown now that we've definitely given our shout-outs to the director and to the writer. We always do that here. We, we got to share appreciation for those that deliver the content for us. All right, the... First thing that happens in this episode, the armorer is forging new Beskar armor, and it's revealed that it is a helmet for a new foundling being initiated into the Creed. The Creed words are as follows, I swear on my name and the name of the ancestors that I shall walk the way of the Mandalore, and the words of the Creed shall forever be forged in my heart. The helmet then gets placed on this boy, that is, I'm assuming a foundling, this is the way is repeated by everyone, and the ritual is intended to be finished by saying, from this moment on, I shall never remove my helmet, but before the boy can finish the line, they are interrupted by a massive sea creature. Now, I've got to say, I felt like initially it was possible that this moment in this episode was a flashback. I thought that maybe they were trying to set up that this boy was in fact Din Djarin, and if that was the case, my head was spinning because the boy never finishes the creed. He never repeats the most important line here of, from this moment on, I shall never remove my helmet. Since he's never able to repeat that, my question, I guess, for this boy and in particular, Din Djarin, potentially, if it had been a flashback, is is that boy officially actually inside the Creed? Because if it had been a flashback, you could make an argument that the armorer shouldn't be making a big deal about Din Djarin having removed his helmet at this point now. But of course, we learn that it's not a flashback because eventually the next part of the episode we see Din Djarin arrive. So this was, in fact, a new character, a new foundling that's being sworn into the creed but it gets cut off but i still have that question is this boy actually part of the group now i'm assuming not at least in my opinion because if their armor is going to be so nitpicky about everything why wouldn't you be nitpicky about this as well anyway moving on to the next thing i've already alluded to it the creature is absolutely wrecking shop that of course causes the creed installment to be ruined or to be cut off that creature's just wrecking shop on all of these mandalorians but luckily din Djarin and grogu arrive in their newly built in one to kill the creature these mandos were not doing a great job as far as fending this thing off i felt like some of their uh, tactical movements and, and defense wasn't that great uh, you got to get the high ground you got to throw some grenades inside of the creature not on top of the creature that was a little strange but i get it these mandos are hard-headed they are 
intent in their ways, thinking that they are superior to everyone around, which is understandable. I mean, look at them. But definitely, it's it, they're lucky that Din Djarin arrived because he definitely saved the day. Now, I'm never going to get sick of this N1. The N1 that they have built in the Book of Boba Fett carrying over here is absolutely fantastic. Of course, on this podcast, I've shared the opinion that I was super bummed when they destroyed the Razorcrest, and I thought it was going to ruin a special place in my heart for this show. But the N1 that they've created is pretty top tier. Uh, it's hard to beat that, honestly. But I really hope, I really hope that they don't destroy this thing. I hope they don't destroy the N1. I hope that this is here to stay. All right. Next up in the episode, of course, after Din Djarin and Grogu make that incredible re-entry into the show, we get kind of this this moment between Din Djarin and the armor that if you watch the book of Boba Fett, you learned absolutely nothing new other than like this crystal poisonous crystallized thing that Din Djarin brings to the table. But anyway, let me read off here. What, what I took away from this conversation, the armor and Din Djarin discuss the necessary steps for him to be redeemed and earn the title of a Mandalorian yet again, after removing his helmet. The armorer believes it's no longer possible since the minds of Mandalore have been destroyed, but Din presents her with material from Mandalore he got off of Jawas that got it off of a traveler who actually visited the, visited the planet. The armorer says the relic proves the planet's surface has been crystallized by fusion rays. Din believes this to be proof that redemption in the living waters is actually possible, which clearly sets up Din's mission for the season and the two depart. But like I was saying, I really felt like really every single one of us as fans that watched the Book of Boba Fett coming into Season 3, we knew that that was going to be the overall objective of Season 3 was Din Djarin going to Mandalore, trying to find those waters, the living waters, to be fully redeemed. So this conversation didn't really present anything brand new to us unless you're listening to this podcast and you haven't watched the Book of Boba Fett, which is, which is definitely possible. So the only thing new really is this whole crystallized object, this relic that, that Din Djarin brings to the table that's got some Mandalore encryption on it that uh, the armor is able to, to say some things about. Other than that, nothing new here. But I will say it was great. It's always great for me personally whenever we see the armorer back, Emily Swallow voicing. I don't know how much Emily Swallow is actually in the suit. Of course, we know the we know the behind the scenes regarding who's in the suit with Din Djarin and things like that. We don't really know it with the armor, but regardless, it, it was great to get this character back. I love this character. I will say there's there's a lot of people out there. I don't know where are you at. You let me know which side should Din Djarin. There's a lot of people that believe Din Djarin should choose the armor's route because they just love that character of the armor. But I'll be honest with you, I haven't been vibing with that character recently just because of her stone-cold ways, but I get it. Like, I still really love the character. I'm just not vibing with her decisions, and I, I think that's intended. So really am interested to see what the armor has to offer the rest of the season. All right, well, that obviously sets up the next step of this episode. That's Din Djarin actually leaving uh, this location, which, by the way, we aren't done with because we've seen in trailers that Din Djarin is kind of looking out from the cave with a group of Mandalorians around him. So, speculative thoughts here, guys. And this would lead to me answering that question that I was just talking about is which side Din Djarin's going to choose. 
is it possible that later in this season, Grogu takes the creed and Din Djarin is watching him and all of that go down? That would be absolutely wild. I personally hope that's not the case because I kind of hope that Grogu and Din Djarin join up with Bo-Katan. But it's 50-50 right now. That's what I'm currently speculating. That famous shot that we've seen in trailers makes me think we're definitely going back there and we're definitely getting more very important scenes at that location. But regardless, those were the last scenes that we get at this location in this premiere episode. All right, so after they depart, while traveling through light speed. Of course, we're getting great and cute moments here with Grogu. But while traveling through light speed, Grogu notices a group of Purgle seen in Rebels. Now, of course, these Purgle are capable of traveling through light speed. They directly connect to Ezra and Thrawn's story because that's how they jettisoned. That's how they got out. That's how they escaped. That's how they are now lost. I don't know if these Purgle are here in this episode to set up the possibility of them being utilized in this season of The Mandalorian, or if they are put here to remind viewers of what they are, to let the casual viewer know that this is a thing, and to expect something like it, and to be okay with something like it when we get to the Ahsoka series. I'm leaning toward it being the latter, toward the, the Ahsoka series. I could still, though, see it being utilized here in Mando 3. I'm just thinking that it's more likely to see it in Ahsoka, but of course, we may be wrong. But regardless, regardless of the speculative thoughts there, the Purgle that are that are shown as a Rebels fan, as a massive Rebels fan, this had me stoked. My jaw hit the floor here. I love these connections. Yet again, more Evidence to show that Favreau and definitely Filoni love pulling canon material ideas from Rebels. And this was a great utilization for me, at least personally, because, again, it gets the viewers mind rolling about how that connects to Thrawn, Ezra, Ahsoka, Sabine. And if they're setting up this Mandoverse where everything is all connected this makes sense. This is one of those small little Easter eggs that makes all of this storytelling actually feel well-developed and well-connected. So, absolutely love this decision. Obviously, because I love Rebels, it's the best. I don't care what you say. In my opinion, it's the best animated series. Even better than Clone Wars. I know that that opinion is definitely not popular. So, it was cool for me for that, but it was also cool on a deeper level because of all of the connections that, in my opinion, we're going to get to see because of this uh, decision to include that awesome moment. All right. Next up in the episode, Din and Grogu travel to Navarro to see High Magistrate Grief Karga. He's got a new title and he's absolutely loving it. The town is absolutely thriving, which is a reflection of Grief's great leadership, in my opinion. Before we get into the business of their arrival on the planet, Din and Grogu reflect at the IG-11 statue. Now, we know now, obviously, 
obviously having watched the episode, why they were kind of standing there reflecting, at least in Din Djarin's mind. But I honestly, just watching the episode as this moment happened, I really thought Din Djarin was just having a good moment of of remembering his first and only potential droid friend that he's ever developed. Because, of course, we know back from Season 1, even some in Season 2, he doesn't trust droids. He doesn't like them. So it's always important to be reminded as a viewer that IG-11 is one of those droids that has actually, in fact, gained Din Djarin's trust. Next up in the episode, Grief reveals they are now an official trade spur of the Hydean Way. I found that name drop there, Hydean Way, interesting. I don't know if that connects to something in canon in the past, but regardless, I do think that name is going to be important somehow. I think it's going to be utilized as we're kind of talking about trade routes, political landscape, culture of of the galaxy right now. I think those kind of small details are important to point out and important to notice as they're, again, continuing to develop this interconnective Mandoverse story. Anyway, continuing... Grief Karga also reveals that the planet is absolutely booming, so there's a lot of money to be made. Basically, he's trying to make his pitch to Mando to settle down here, but Din informs him that he has a new mission to tend to. Of course, we know that mission. That's to go to Mandalore. That's to be redeemed and all of those things. Obviously, in these moments, too, we get one of the cutest moments of the episode that we've seen before this premiere actually released and that was Grogu using the force to push and and spin around in that spinny chair it's that's great it's so good when those moments happen Grogu is so innocent he is a direct reflection of so many kids in our world even though they look Grogu looks nothing like any any of us humans obviously but it's such a relatable moment as a kid you sit in those chairs and you want to naturally spin like crazy and Grogu's utilizing the fact that he has now been trained a little bit more in the force and he's just going for it and I absolutely adored that moment now while these two are trying to catch up They are then interrupted by pirates misbehaving in the streets. This group of pirates is wanting to drink at what used to be the saloon on Navarro, which has now been turned into a school. I'm assuming that school is the same school that we saw in Season 2 of The Mandalorian, where Grogu got an opportunity to study there for a little bit. Grief and this main pirate name is Vane come to a standoff in the streets, and Grief easily bests him, blasting Vane's pistol away. The others behind Vane begin to pull pistols, but Din and Grief wipe them out and allow Vane to get away to inform the others of Navarro's new state. Alright, a couple of things in to take away from this scene, in my opinion. Number one, pi- these pirates. I gotta say, I wasn't necessarily invested with these characters. And I think, you know what? I think I know why. I want Star Wars, and it's not just The Mandalorian, it's it's all of these shows. Even thinking back to uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi with Freck or Frick or whatever his name was. I miss whenever they had their aliens speak their own dialect and then they had those subtitles, the special fonted subtitles on the bottom of the screen. I wish we would go back to that. I wish we could see these alien creatures speak their own dialect because it throws me off, I think, when they're speaking basic, in my opinion. I think I would enjoy that more and I would be more invested in and holding on to the dialogue that these characters are saying. I don't know if that's me being super nitpicky or or what, but that's just kind of a general thought that I've been having regarding these creatures and species that they've been having speaking basic recently in all of these shows. 
I really wish they would do that more often. I don't even feel like they do it close to enough to what they should do. I, I think it, it opens the diversity as far as the galaxy goes. It just makes you feel more so like you're in the galaxy of Star Wars. So I don't understand why they're not doing it, but it's okay. It's really not that big of a deal. I just felt like if they were to do that, I would be more invested with these characters. Now, another thing here, it was really cool seeing Grief Karga. He still got it. He blasts that pistol away from Vane. All of the other pirates, I love this moment. I love this, this decision by them because it plays into how those characters would be. They're reactionary. They think they're able to beat Din Djarin and Grief Karga. They were way off. Loved all of that stuff. Grief Karga, horrible decision to let Vane go away. He had to have known better. If this dude is trying to drink and get wasted at a school, he has no filter and he's going to go back and report to his boss and regroup and come back after you or come back after whoever's left on Navarro or potentially leaving Navarro. Of course, we'll get to that in this breakdown. So questionable decision there by Grief Karga. Obviously, he's thriving. He's doing a great, great job by by whatever he's doing on Navarro, because it's just booming, but this was a questionable decision in the slightest, in my opinion. Anyway, continuing on, Grief is in need of a marshal because Cara Dune has now been recruited by special forces after bringing in Moff Gideon to the New Republic. It is revealed that Gideon was sent off to a New Republic war tribunal. Grief asked Din to make the stripes, or rather to take the stripes, and when asked why Grief doesn't just ask for one from the New Republic, he expresses the last thing they need is to bow down to another far-off bureaucracy. Din obviously turns him down, and this was a very interesting dialogue moment. Of course, we know what happened with Cara Dune. We know Gina Carano is no longer an employee for Lucasfilm, so I'm not surprised in the slightest that they kind of handled that character with this dialogue. I also think with the story that they were telling in Season 2, I mean, I know us as fans probably know why that dialogue was used, but I actually think it kind of fits. Like, it would make sense for Cara Dune to go off and, and do whatever is necessary take Moff Gideon into the New Republic, and from there get recruited by Special Forces. That makes sense to me. I think that fits with the character. It fits with maybe their intentions of what they had hoped to do with Rangers of the New Republic. But regardless, I I like the decision on how to handle that there. Moff Gideon, name drop here. Obviously, we know that he's in this season at some point. It seems like he's going to be imprisoned. So maybe we're not actually going to see him do any action but I'm assuming if that's the case if he's in prison I'm assuming he's at least going to share some very important dialogue whether that be to Dr. Pershing or whether that be to Carson Teva maybe even the Mandalorian himself who knows but I'll be interested to see how Moff Gideon gets utilized here maybe we get an episode where he breaks out of prison Or, just like I said, maybe we just get an episode of where we get to check in on him and see some things that he's currently thinking. Anyway, another thing too there, it was interesting where Grief asked Din Djarin to take the stripes. Just because I got a mental image of seeing Din Djarin with that striped belt clip on his waist and also kind of seeing a mental image of Din Djarin and, and Grogu settling down here on Navarro, that was... That was cool and mental canon there that I that I had a moment of. But, of course, we wouldn't have a story if that was the case. So we're not surprised, obviously, that, that Din had to turn him down. 
All right, next up in the episode, Din reveals why he is there. He wants to get IG-11 back and running so he can more easily travel on Mandalore. After working on the droid, though, IG-11 turns on. The droid reverts back to his old programming and attempts to kill Grogu. After some struggle with stopping IG-11, Grief's head statue hilariously stops it. Now, also before that, we hilariously see Din Djarin toss Grogu over to Grief Karga, and that was absolutely fantastic. Mark that as number two cute moment for Grogu. In my opinion, Grogu absolutely stole this premiere. And I guess I'm getting ahead of myself there with one of my overall takeaways, but he was absolutely fantastic. Uh, it was cool to see IG-11 here briefly. Uh, I think this is going to be a continued plot point potentially, but we'll definitely have to wait and see. And again, this plays into the fact that IG-11 is the only droid that Din Djarin trusts because there are so many droids out there that he could just go ahead and, and get but obviously, he's wanting to go through the work and put in the work to get IG-11 back and running. So, I like that decision. It fits with the character. Sure, it creates another plot thing that goes off to the side and doesn't allow us to focus in on Mandalore at the moment, potentially. But it makes sense for the character. So, we're just going to have to be patient. If, if they want to tell that story, let's just soak it in and have fun and, and enjoy the cute moments and, and the great moments that are going to come with it. Because we're definitely going to get to Mandalore eventually. It's just that Din Djarin needs his peeps. He needs his actual legit squad to help him get accomplished the things that he needs to get accomplished. All right, next up, Din gives IG-11 to a group of Anzellans to work on. They reveal to Din that they can't fix it, but Din plans to find the part they are needing to one day fix it. Grogu, in these moments, randomly picks up one of the Anzellans, hugging him. Absolutely fantastic moment. Mark that down as cute moment number three for Grogu. That was... Great. I absolutely loved that moment. But it's also great here. If you're on YouTube, if you're watching this podcast on YouTube, you can see the image. There it is. The image that I chose. Uh, it reminds me of Buddy the Elf in Elf sitting in a classroom full of elves when he's a full-grown human adult. Uh, it reminds me of that. Din Djarin squatted down sitting Indian style, it looks like, uh, in this little Enzelin workshop. It's it's gold. This This is meme worthy and I hope somebody that's more creative than me out there kind of runs with that and it just takes off I hope it blows up all right anyway next part of the episode Din now is set to leave the planet so of course Grogu's coming with him potentially returning later in the season to get IG-11 from the Anzellans so definitely something that I just kind of glanced over there 1000% I think this is going to be a plot point is Din Djarin actually going out to find that part and come back. So I don't think we're done with Navarro. I, I definitely think we'll be coming back. Well, anyway, as they are leaving, while in space, Din is teaching Grogu some Mandalorian principles of travel and also some flying mechanisms. Great father-son-like moment here. I always love when we get to have those moments. Of course, now that I am, what, four months into being a father myself, 
those moments, if they continue to do those, they're going to play so well and so emotional for me. Yeah, I, I can't wait to see that stuff. All right, so while they're up there, though, as they're having these moments, suddenly the pirates return to get revenge for Mando killing four of Vane's brothers. The pirates want Mando to answer to Pirate King Gorian Shard. So that was the boss that was mentioned earlier in the little shootout, but while I was seeing it in those moments, I didn't quite catch that name, but I definitely catch it here because this Vane guy's back and he's threatening things and he's like, look, you got to go talk to my boss. You got to take this up with the boss with what y'all just did to us. So he's out for blood. A squad of these pirates begin attacking Din and we get some really cool flying and space battle action. It's always great to see this, especially through the asteroid field. That was absolutely fantastic. Grogu giggling throughout this sequence is cute moment number four for him. Din begins picking them off one by one. Great moments with the timing of the Mando theme as he blasts them. That was executed so well. Vane then leads Din to King Gorian Shard's ship. And what the heck is this dude? He's like a green... I don't know, a green... If you've heard of old Greg before, it's like this old YouTube video that I that I saw when I was like way back in middle school or the Grinch mixed with a Davy Jones. Like this is just absolutely insane. I don't know what the man or, or woman was thinking or, or on when they created this King Gorian Shard character, but I absolutely love it. I found it so hysterical. It fits so well in this world. It fits with everything that they got going on. I'm assuming that cost a lot of money to create that. So I don't think we're done with King Gorian Shard. It's going to be hard for me to take that dude seriously, though. Um, so I look forward to the laughs that that character could potentially uh, bring if we see that character yet again. But goodness gracious, I wasn't. I didn't have that on the, uh, the bingo card there. Or I didn't put that bet in for in Vegas that uh, we were going to see something that, that looked remotely close to that in this season three premiere. Uh, I absolutely, absolutely adored it though. Goodness gracious. We'll see. We'll see if we see him again. I kind of hope we do. And I, I kind of hope his death cause eventually he'll die. Right. I kind of hope his death is somehow so goofy, but we'll see. Maybe you have a different opinion on that. You can definitely uh, let me know and get in on the action, whether that be Twitter, Discord, down in the comments if you're on YouTube. Just reach out to me. Um, I would love to hear your opinions on on uh, King, Gory, and Shard, or really anything in this episode, obviously, if I haven't made that uh, those intentions well known at this point. All right, anyway, continuing on here. Din and Grogu, of course, they get to escape. They blast off into hyperspace, and then we get to see a really up-close shot of King Gorian Shard's face, and it's, uh, again, it's great. Din and Grogu then arrive at Kelvala, Kelvala, which is a planet in the Mandalorian system. And Din approaches and lands at a Mandalorian castle where Bo-Katan sits on the castle's throne. Now... I am an absolute sucker for throne sets and seeing people sitting on those thrones. And the way that Bo-Katan is posted up on this thing is ideal. I absolutely love this image. I love the set. I love the visuals. But you got to ask yourself, what the heck? <laughs> if, if you just put yourself in, in our reality, what the heck are they doing always? You know, whether it be Star Wars, whether it be Game of Thrones, Lord of the Rings, what are these 
these people in leadership always doing sitting there on the throne. It's not like they have TikToks to scroll through or Twitter to, to angrily tweet about The Last Jedi or something like that. What are they doing? That, that's a question that I always, that always pops up in the back of my mind anytime I see throne room scenes like this. But yes, intimidating shot, intimidating yet relaxed pose here by Bo-Katan. I absolutely loved uh, the way that this scene was executed. So this next, and this is actually the final massive breakdown bullet point that I want to get through, but it's a pretty lengthy one because I just went ahead and I got every single bit of dialogue from this written down. So let's dive in, let's dissect this. I'll definitely pause when there's some things along the way. So, Bo-Katan reveals that when she returned without the Darksaber to her forces, they all melted away. So, I'm assuming that's including Casca Reeves. I'm assuming that's the Wolves guy. Was that his name? Axe Wolves or something like that. I may be confusing that. I am Wow, I, I may be way off. This is Mando talking. I may be mixing up my uh, Mandalorian names. But, you know, all the people that we've seen with Bo-Katan in Season 2 and anyone else? Does that mean they're all gone? Does that mean maybe they have beef with each other? Does that mean maybe we could see Bo-Katan, you know, getting a duke, duke it out sesh with any of those characters? Who knows? Maybe she's pretty salty. I would be pretty salty if my squad left me just because I didn't have a Darksaber, but of course we know how valuable the Mandalorians view that Darksaber. Din asks where the stolen fleet of Gideons is, and Bo says they are making their way through the galaxy as mercenaries. So that was a question that I had during our Mando rewatch, was were we going to see Bo-Katan piloting that ship that she stole? I guess not, unless she takes it back, which that would be a cool plot moment to see Bo-Katan, you know, seek her own little mini revenge with her own squad that kind of left her to dry we'll see though we'll definitely see Bo asks if Din still has the saber which of course he does and she says he should lead them then and wave the saber around so they'll do whatever he says so again we we see just in that comment alone how valuable the dark saber is to so many and all of these Mandalorians regardless of what side you're on the armor side or Bo-Katan's. So I feel like really Din Djarin has an opportunity to maybe somehow rally both sides together, but I definitely don't think we're, we're a, if that's a thing, we are well ways away from that because there's definitely beef and, and saltiness on both sides of this little battle. Din asks, so you gave up your designs to retake Mandalore, and Bo-Katan responds by saying, "Your cult gave up on Mandalore long before the purge. Where were you then? The children of the Watch and all the factions that came before it fractured and shattered our people. Go home. There's nothing left." So Bo-Katan has suddenly gotten really angry and is just really mad. I mean, her her whole designs and idea and positivity of going back to Mandalore is squashed. So it, it seems like she was totally relying on finding Moff Gideon, beating Moff Gideon, and getting that Darksaber. And Din Djarin has completely derailed that idea. And she is absolutely taking it out on his cult and the cults that came before. And she's just kind of, it seems like, giving up in the moments. But she's not giving up. 
I promise you that. She's definitely going to get back into it. It's just weird because at the end of season two, we, we were hearing her discussions, the finale of season two, rather. We were hearing her discussions of wanting to go back to Mandalore, wanting to reclaim it to its old famous, glorious, great ways. So total 180 here, and I think it all has to do with the Darksaber. Din then says, I am going to Mandalore so that I may bathe in the living waters and be forgiven for my transgressions. Yet again, this is like the fourth or fifth time now that we've heard a, a line similar to that. So the intentions of this season, the goal of this season, the mission of this season is well portrayed. Bo responds by saying, you are a fool. There's nothing magic about the minds of Mandalore. They supplied Beskar or to our ancestors and the rest is superstition. That planet has been ravaged, plundered, and poisoned. So again, Bo-Katan is there to put Din Djarin in his place and to really combat his ideas of what the way, this is the way. I haven't even said that yet, this podcast episode. How am I now 35 minutes into this podcast and I haven't said this is the way. I feel ashamed. Anyway, this is the way. I hope you're saying that as I'm saying it. But yeah, Bo-Katan's really challenging him here. I absolutely love it because I think it's going to lead to just great character moments between the two. Din then says, you said that the curse was a lie. Make up your mind. Bo's response, if you want to go to the mines, be my guest. They're beneath the civic center in the city of Sundari. Din Djarin and Grogu then depart to discover if Mandalore truly is poisoned. And Bo-Katan says goodbye, Din Djarin, in an awfully, awfully interesting way. I believe, and and I could be wrong, and, and I would be okay if I'm wrong, I believe this whole Bo-Katan's a villain thing is a misdirect. I think there's this initial headbutting between Din Djarin and Bo-Katan, but I do think they're eventually going to get over that and kind of work together. Maybe maybe that is more so my hope, but I could easily see it going the other way, and I'd also be very interested in, in that storytelling as well. I just really don't want to see Bo-Katan die, and that's why I really want to see them join, because the show wouldn't kill off Din Djarin, it would kill off Bo-Katan, so... I don't know, guys. I am really nervous to see where this goes, but I am certainly excited. Now, I will go ahead and set my expectations... I could easily see this next chapter, chapter 18, being focused on the quest for the part that IG-11 needs to go to Mandalore with Din Djarin. I'm confused, though, how IG-11 would fit in that N1 with Din Djarin. He would have to get a different ship. Maybe that's a different uh, plot point that we may see in a later episode. So we may see that kind of mission in the next episode. But if we go ahead and get into this Mandalore stuff, sign me up. If if we're really going to go ahead and travel to that civic center that's under the city of Sindari, let's go. And if we want to do this whole Din Djarin versus Bo-Katan headbutting thing, again, let's go. I cannot wait for this season. Now, that is all of the things as far as big dissecting, breakdown, all of the big moments that I noticed in this podcast episode. So it's time for me to share my overall opinions, and then we're going to finish the podcast by me reading your tweets that you sent in to me. So, I, for one, absolutely loved. I, I loved this episode. 
don't get don't get me twisted at all with any of the things that I'm about to say. Loved this episode. I do think there are some weak moments, some weak plot written moments, but I still adored this episode. I think it's probably the weakest of the three season premieres. Season one premiere with having the reveal of, of Baby Yoda, at that time he was known as Baby Yoda, was phenomenal. I still argue that the season two premiere is arguably one of the greatest premieres in all of streaming, especially on Disney+. Plus. Like, bar none, it is the best season premiere for any Disney Plus show. I definitely don't think it's the best season premiere of, of shows all time, but it's definitely really well done. So it was hard. it's hard for this one to compare to those two. So it's definitely the this new one, this Chapter 17, in my opinion, is the weakest of the three season premieres. Also, another thing I felt personally, like the entire stuff at Navarro for me, I don't feel the need to really ever go back and rewatch those because I felt like so much of that was was just set up and, and exposition for what's potentially to come. I really dug, really enjoyed the opening and the closing moments. I really loved the foundling moment and, and seeing that ritual that this creed would go through if they weren't interrupted by this massive creature. I love getting the conversations between Bo and Din to really get a good understanding of what the Mandalore culture is like at the moment. I am a sucker for that stuff. So those two things alone, and add to that the four, I think we got to four total Grogu, cute, and fantastic moments. Loved it. I, I love this episode. I would say it's like a 7.5 out of 10. Somewhere in there. 7.5, maybe even 8. 8 out of 10. I don't want to sit here and give it a super high score because I fully expect and believe that future episodes in this season are going to be 9s, 10s, 8.5s, those super high numbers. So I'm somewhere 7.5 up to 8. And, and if... Um, you know what? Let's just round it up. 8 out of 10. This is Mando Talk. You know I love Mandalorian. Maybe I'm trying to be too fancy with that 7.5. I'll give it an 8 out of 10. 8 out of 10. I really, really love this episode. As a season premiere, it does a great job of setting up so many different plot details. We've got the plot point of Din Djarin going to find the part for IG-11. We've got the plot point of these pirates causing some issues, maybe for Din Djarin, but definitely for Navarro and Grief Karga. So Din Djarin is probably going to have to come back and help. We've got the plot point of Din Djarin going to Mandalore to attempt to be redeemed for his transgressions, for taking off his helmet. We've got Bo-Katan having her issues with Din Djarin, having her issues of so many of her followers leaving. That's four different things that this one episode in 30 minutes, it was 35 minutes, but you add to take away the credits, take away the recap, about 30 minutes of content that it set up four different things that this season could explore. So as far as a premiere goes, check the freaking box on that because the premiere of a season is supposed to give you direction. It's supposed to inform you and let you know of what to expect. So it knocks that part out of the park. It's just the fact for me, I guess, the Pirates and the Navarro stuff, I don't necessarily feel like this absolute desire to just dive into that and soak it all up. But the beginning of the episode with the Foundling, the ending of the episode with Bo-Katan, and the Grogu cute moments make this a fantastic premiere, in my opinion. All right, you've heard enough from me, so let me go to 
your tweets that you sent in to me. Of course, I'm going to do this each and every single week where I'm going to discuss your tweets that you send in to me. So be looking out for the tweet that asks for you to send those in to me next week, of course. So by the way, that's at MandoTalk. If you don't follow us on Twitter, follow us there. So that way we can get you in on the show next week. So hopping over here, I actually want to do something first. I want to go to the question or the initial tweet rather before actually looking at all of the answers. Here we go. Here's the initial tweet. Because I sent out a poll to get a good understanding of how the audience, how you guys, those of you out on the Twitterverse, felt about the episode. So I titled the tweet, Mando Wednesday Poll. So again, you can expect that same tweet next week with Chapter 18. The question was, how would you rate, out of 10, the Season 3 premiere of The Mandalorian Chapter 17, The Apostate, then reply with your non-spoiler thoughts to be featured on Friday's podcast episode. I will say next week, I'm probably going to take off the non-spoiler thoughts and just say reply with your thoughts because I don't want, I want to be able to get all of your thoughts and opinions out there. Just be careful with tweeting spoilers. That's really why I put the non-spoiler entry there. Just be careful with that. But anyway, so here's the the poll results. 45.8% of you said 9 to 10, and I put beside that, that meant great. 37.3% of you said 7 to 8, which I put beside that good, which is what I would vote if I had the ability or the option to vote here, but I didn't. But that's where I would put my entry there, 7 to 8. I I already gave you that rating, 7.5 to 8, and I ended up giving you an 8. So it's it's really good in my opinion, and it looked like 37.3 of you agreed with me. 13.3% 13.3% said 5 to 6, it was okay. You know, I can actually see that take, so I don't really judge you there. But then we've got probably one person that voted in for 1 to 4, the rating of 1 to 4, which was considered bad in my opinion, because we've got 3.6% on that. So whoever that person is, that opinion, you know, if you're listening to the podcast, I greatly appreciate you. Don't get me wrong. But if you think that's 1 to 4, let me know why you think that's 1 to 4, because I'm dying to know how you could view it that low. But anyway, that tweet and that poll result was very interesting to me. All right, so let me go to these entries and now start discussing your thoughts. So the first one, I'm just going to go in order here. We've got at Molly Brizzle said, it does feel like home. I actually think that was in response to one of my initial reviews where I said going back to The Mandalorian Season 3 with this premiere felt like home. It 1,000%. 1,000%. I know it's Mando Talk, so obviously it's going to naturally feel like home for me. But I bet for a lot of you out there, going back to The Mandalorian and hearing the music, seeing Din Djarin with Grogu, Grief Karga, all of those characters, I bet you felt a great nostalgic home moment this week with this episode. All right, next up, Star Wars Meg at Star Wars Meg 1 tweeted and said, 100% I had the biggest smile when Grogu squeezed and it said redacted to uh, to avoid spoilers. But of course, that's the Enzelin. That was so gold. That was golden content. The Mandalorian knows when to insert those cute moments. It was great. All right, from at Don I Nick or Don Nichols said, Grogu needs a teddy bear or something. 
I 1000% agree with you. And I actually think, why not get an Enzelin? It would be smart to have one of those handy if you ever have droid issues. If you're going to get IG-11 or if you're going to potentially get, we've seen in trailers, maybe R5 off of Tatooine. It would be wise to have one of those on board, ready to work on said droid. So... I like that idea. Obviously not a teddy bear, but definitely, definitely, and and Zelen, I think, could be utilized. All right, next up, at underscore Blue Jedi, or just simply Blue Jedi is the profile name. Nine out of ten. It done absolutely everything required of a season opener without doing too much. We saw what we needed to see whilst keeping other things and objects for later in the season. This is hard without spoiling, one mark off for being short, but at the same time left us wanting more. That is a great review, Blue Jedi. I absolutely agree with all of those things. I do agree, yes, admittedly it was short, but I also feel like it was the length that it needed to be with the story that obviously they had planned I just think as fans we want it to be longer and especially for me like right now I'll admit I'm really enjoying The Last of Us and we're getting like hour plus episodes with that and I really wish The Mandalorian would do that but I understand that they don't want to do that so it's okay all right next up Gabby or at yay mine f-t-i-s My only gripe, to be honest, is that it should have been longer. So here we go with with the time again. Again, and it's it's a, I think, very legit criticism. So much stuff happened. I needed some more time for the scenes to breathe. Din and Grogu are back at last. Okay, I didn't consider the fact that maybe the scenes needed some more time to breathe. So, you know what? If you feel that way... I'll take even more seconds. So yeah, I'm retracting my statement about how it should have been, it should have been the length that it is. Give us time to breathe. If, if, if we want to spend more time with this, these characters, yeah, absolutely. If you want to spend 10 more seconds just shooting Din Djarin walking, I'll take it. Whatever we've got to do to get more moments with these characters. But yeah, again, I understand that timing gripe there. All right, next up, Lynn Altomari says new quote old characters interacting with Grogu. If I had to guess, I believe that is referencing the Anzellans, of course. That was absolutely fantastic, Lynn. I'm so glad you sent that in. Yes, the Anzellans were absolutely great. Seeing Grogu interact with all of these. It was great to see Grogu interact with the armor because he like responds and, and kind of looks up at Dinjarin and gurgles whenever the armor says that he's no that Dinjarin is no longer a Mandalorian. It was great to see him interact with Grief Karga. It was great to see Grogu just interact with anybody and everybody. All right, next up, Jessica Sitton wrote in saying, "Could have been a little longer. It was good to see him kicking butt again and having some tender moments with Grogu. It's what the world needs. One thousand percent, the world needs Grogu, and the world needs Grogu with Din Djarin specifically. It's that father-son like dynamic that's so heartwarming and so fantastic. But yes, again, as we've all discovered here, it definitely could have been longer. We'll take we'll take more time, obviously. All right." At Extra Star Wars tweeted in and said, 30 minutes, not enough time to cover all of the points in this episode. Great action and tender moments overshadowed by lack of time. All right, interesting and respectable review there. Again, another entry here that feels like they could have let it breathe a little bit more because it had so many different things to cover. I've already talked about four plot points 
four potential plot points for this season were set up in this episode. So, if we needed more time for it to breathe, it seems like that's something that we may have discovered or uncovered here with your tweets. Definitely more time the merrier. All right, Jessica Sitton again with another entry. Thank you for that, Jessica. It was awesome. I was hoping they would have a secret person at the end of the credits, but who really cares? It was great. And Grogu, oh my gosh, squeezing, hugging, and just being cute. Cannot wait for episode two. I might set my alarm this time. Yeah, for me, it would have to be 2 a.m. if I was to wake up early and, and watch as soon as it drops. I will say this, though. I've seen tweets from people that were at the premiere where they showed the first two episodes and even tweets from some people that were there that are very critical of Star Wars, even saying that episode two was an absolute banger and that it really set the stage and that it really got the momentum of this season going. So we may need to, Jessica, we may need to set our alarms for next week and get really hyped and stoked for that episode now it was really interesting your first part here talking about a secret person at the end of the credits i don't know if if you mean this character jessica but when i see that i think thrawn you can let me know you can tweet at me let me know the character that you were hoping to see so that's that's what i think i always think of anytime somebody's like "Ooh, let's let's get this character in the end credits i'm always thinking in the back of my head thrawn because in my opinion they have an opportunity to make thrawn the overall big bad right all right next up Tim Arnold tweeted in the following. I thought it was a great episode. It set the stage. It set the stage for the rest of the season. The conversation between the armor and Dinjarin and Bo-Katan and Dinjarin indicate to me that most of the season will be about his quest to become a Mandalorian again. Tim, if that's the case, I'm stoked. Tim, I know you've listened to the show long enough to know that I'm somebody that adores the Mandalore culture stuff. So if it if that's the case of Din Djarin and this season being focused on his quest to become Mandalorian again, which I believe it is, I do believe that is the main mission, then we're going to get a lot of important dialogue that, that'll make us and leave us feeling very satisfied. All right, Tim sent in another one. Again, thank you so much, Tim, for sending in another tweet here to allow us to discuss, saying the following... Also, seeing the Purgle again was a hint to Rebels and Ezra Bridger. It will be interesting to see if Ezra, Sabine, and Grand Admiral Thrawn will make appearances on the show. And yeah, that's definitely the speculation uh, that we could definitely have here, seeing those Purgle. It's, it immediately makes you think of Ezra, makes you think of Sabine, Thrawn, Ahsoka, everything that we saw in Rebels, and that is done with intention. That was done to make us start thinking about, is it possible to see these characters? Is it possible for them to set up the Ahsoka series in this season of The Mandalorian? Or are they just going to wait to do that stuff? Well, there is all of your tweets. Again, do that same exact thing next week to those of you that did it and those of you that didn't. Let's make this list even longer for me and Zach. Zach Horvath will be discussing episode 18 with me next week, so we'll definitely dive even maybe deeper and dissect even deeper because there's going to be two opinions on next week's podcast episode. So if you haven't done so, make sure that you subscribe to wherever you are listening. If you're on a podcast platform, do me a favor, click the YouTube link and subscribe to that. I am I'm having the goal of trying to, as much as possible, release YouTube shorts around the lunchtime 
from Monday through Thursday every single week while The Mandalorian is coming out to give some fresh and new interesting content that's outside of the podcast. So again, hop over there, hit that subscribe button, hit the likes, hit the bell, leave some comments, all of those great things. I would greatly appreciate it. Let's get hyped. Let's get ready for a great season of The Mandalorian. Follow Mando Talk on Twitter, TikTok. Those are the two main ones at Mando Talk. Join our Discord if you want some discussion, one on one discussion with us. Discord link is in the description. And again, thank you so much for listening to this podcast episode. Let's have a fantastic season. The best way to do that send in those tweets, support the show follow us, subscribe to us, and also share us with friends. Tell your friends and family that are enjoying The Mandalorian with you about Mando Talk. This is the home for The Mandalorian content, so let them know about us because that's how we grow and that's how we continue to have longer tweet entries to discuss in these podcast episodes and also just a better, more fun, inclusive, great time. All right. Thank you so much for this episode. I cannot wait for chapter 18. It feels like forever away, but we'll be here to discuss it, me and Zach, and I can't wait for that podcast episode, and I can't wait for you to check it out next week, and thank you again, and as always, we have spoken. Spoken.